Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Heyo! Dr. Santos here, your pediatric infectious disease doc, researcher, and faithful sidekick. That was a lot of enthusiasm for an entrance. Well done. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to kind of rev myself up uh, this time around. I'm <laughs> off call. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to start research, but I'm a little scared to start this you know, kind of round of research. And I just finished putting in a grant, and I'm scared about the grant. So like, I'm all nervous energy. I'll grant you that. There you go. See, you already oh. got one. <laughs> well, Santosh, it's been a pretty big news week. Well, this news actually started a couple of weeks ago, but at least as we record this this past like Thursday or Friday, some pretty big news landed. The Supreme Court in <laughs> in the year of our Lord, June of 2022, has <laughs> handed down a couple of different decisions and one of them uh touches on medicine. Mm -hmm. So yes. that's the one that we feel we probably should talk about. And look, let's let's give a bonus disclaimer. Okay, We're okay. probably not going to contribute a lot in terms of opinions to change or sway minds. Uh, yes, this is going to be an abortion episode. Okay. I want to just kind of touch a little on the history and then the resources. And while certainly Dr. Santosh and I have opinions which lean heavily towards bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. We want everybody to be able to walk away learning something from this. And if we can shift minds, great. And if we can't, well, that's what your local politicians and voting and many other forums are for. Josh, I think, you know, having discussed this with you for a very long time, I've got to say 
this is the clearest way to actually move forward in terms of a conversation and this subject is just to present on what an abortion is, what we've known about it through the ages, how it really affects you know, human physiology, the fetus, the mom, all these kind of a thing. And then where we're at right now with modern technology and medicine and that kind of a thing. Because I think on, well, forgive me, but one side much more so than the other, there are a lot of myths which kind of halt the whole conversation behind the morality and politics behind this. So if we can at least break some of those things down and present the facts, I think we can start on an even ground for a conversation. And if this caused you to storm away, well, it's okay. It's a podcast. You didn't hurt our feelings. Now that we have all the extra disclaimers out of the way, please expect this to tackle. Please expect us to tackle this with slightly more than our usual levels of maturity, but they'll still be your regular fun and kicks yeah absolutely i um so, uh, after that on my vulgarity <laughs> oh my gosh you guys if you could see the swear jar at the end of every editing session <laughs> just, we'll, we'll take it we'll take it back a few notches over here and try to approach this with a, a solid modicum i'm going to make santo I'm going to make Santosh quit swearing, mm. and then we're going to have to start running ads to fund the show. <laughs> so, given that the Supreme Court has decided to formally overturn Roe v. Wade and ensure a domestic supply of infants to the U.S., as laid out in the draft opinion, uh, let's start by covering some of the history of abortions, because one of the arguments used to strike this down is that this was not something that was a national precedent uh, or part of the collective history of the country for long enough to be considered an inalienable right. Now, those of you with law degrees can get way more into the weeds on this, but that is, sure. from what I understand, just the the very base argument. Yeah. And in essence, for all of you guys outside of the United States who are listening to this, this wasn't a decision nationally from a court saying, you know, all abortions must be banned or all, you know, abortions can't be banned or anything like that. Basically, what they were trying to say is that there couldn't be any law put in place from the federal level, the national level to regulate this. It, you know the 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 court said it should be left up to the states so that's that's the decision that they handed down which was not formally true uh formally true under this uh, you know decision called Roe versus Wade uh many many years ago here in the United States so let's get into some of these histories as we go Roe versus well everybody uh yep. so if we if we kind of wander over to the Wayback Machine and head to ancient, well, ancient Greece-ish, mm -hmm. um, we can talk a little bit about the very first documented gynecologist, Seranus of Ephesus. 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 Uh -huh. I got to place the <laughs> Ephesus on the right, Seranus. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly right. 
According mm-hmm. to the Suda, which was a 10th century Byzantine encyclopedia, uh, a Wikipedia of the ancient medical world. <laughs> yeah, it couldn't be edited as readily as we do nowadays, but it no, kind of was. No, are heavy. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I know, but in this case, you're right, because this did have a lot of input from multiple sources when the author kind of compiled this text. So Seranus was born in Ephesus around the second half of the first century. He trained in Alexandria, which, as we've talked about in the Mesopotamian episode, was one of the oldest sort of collection of medical minds and schools. He practiced in Rome, and he wrote Uh about 20 books, most of which are lost, and we only know because they're referenced in an index. However, he was known as one of the... indices! Sorry. (laughs) However... (laughs) He was one of the foremost obstetricians of his time, and his book on gynecology is divided into four major parts, which I love this. Books one through four. Books one and two are things normal, and books three and four, things abnormal. Doesn't get much clearer than that. (laughs) Well, it's kind of a cool flow, right? Nowadays, right now in in medical school, there's kind of this push to do you know, learning in a different kind of a way. But when you and I went through medicine, Josh, and for a really, really long time, we first learned normal physiology, anatomy, biochemistry for about a year. And then the second year of our, you know, textbook learning was pathophysiology, meaning when things go wrong. So it makes a ton of sense why this was set up in this way. Uh, Book one has one of the earliest accounts. It's a whole chapter dedicated to the care of the newborn. And chapters in book four deal with abnormal pregnancies. So book one, care of the newborn, there were a lot of midwives. That's who was delivering babies back in the day. He stressed in his essentially textbook or treatise that the ideal midwife has to have a good memory, be qualified, free from superstitions. So in an age when you have in an age when myth, when myth and legend Let's ruled the it. world, no. like ancient gods were petty and cruel. Only <laughs> oh, one God. man dared to stand up. No, <laughs> no, there were so many men who dared stand up. <laughs> there were no petty and cruel gods. He was basically saying, instead of using hand waving and woo woo, that you had to use some understanding of natural sciences to take care of a pregnant woman and deliver a baby. You. Stop it. This is not Hercules and Xena. (laughs) He states midwives must be literate, (laughs) experienced, and discreet. Yes, yes. And have rounded nails so as not to risk puncturing the organs. Oh, that's interesting. And Josh, I I don't know if you had the same experience when we did our very first, uh, you know, kind of physical exams on our mock patients. But actually, the wonderful woman volunteer who came in came with a nail clipper to make sure, you know, we didn't hurt her when we did our very first pelvic exam. He also notes that fetal nourishment takes place via the blood vessels in the umbilical cord. So he has a whole chapter on care of mother (laughs) and baby. This is so cool. This is way before actual circulation of the blood was, you know, described. He even makes reference to prematurity saying some newborns can survive at seven months of gestation and suggests mm-hmm. that the navel cord be cut in the middle so as it is the furthest from both mother and baby and minimize the bleeding. 
<laughs> yeah, this is uh, delayed clamping. We still use this when we deliver a baby to let the blood flow into the baby. And then, you know, don't cut the umbilical cord uh, too, too short. Yeah. No, I don't think we use that same measure. Uh, we don't leave that big old long umbilical cord hanging up. <laughs> but it's the it's actually the same idea. You're trying to get the blood into the kit instead of just spilling out. Now, if you so that's that was sort of the one. So he did make reference to the need for abortions, largely in the sense of miscarriages. That's really one of the most modern of the ancient world. Although, of course, the very first recorded evidence of induced abortion is from ancient Egypt and mentioned in the Ebers Papyrus, which dates <laughs> back, which dates back to fifteen hundred and fifty BC. Yeah, it. it- this has been going on for a very, very long time. Either finding, you know, usually natural things, Josh, that would, you know, be an or uh, abortive fascient, meaning that they would have some sort of effect where, a, you know, a fetus would die in the womb. And there were definitely recognized conditions where, hey, this baby is not doing okay. It's going to die. And then, you know, you didn't have understandings of, you know, germ theory and that kind of a thing. But there was a clear knowledge that if that baby dies in there, there's going to be, you know, dead tissue. And then that, you know, that illness is going to spread to the mom and mom's going to die. So we have to have some way of, you know, helping in these uh, in these times and recognized for thousands and thousands of years. Now, there were a lot of plants that were used in the time of ancient Egypt, but back to Saronis, he would prescribe things like diuretics, emetics, enemas, fasting and bloodletting, all the safe abortion methods. Although, again, he usually was recommending these for miscarriages and even things like uh, excessive physical activity, strenuous labor, climbing, paddling, diving, things like that. But here's the really interesting thing. Um, There are constantly arguments from those who are against abortion that it is unnatural, that it is something that is a relatively recent invention, when all that really has changed is the methods. And the ancient Greeks relied upon an herb known as silphium as an abortifacient and contraceptive. This plant was the chief export of the island of Cyrene. Oh, like sirens? Like the sirens? Possibly. Um, C-Y-R-E-N-E. Cyrene? Cyrene, I think, Uh, in the Greek. Oh, that's Um, interesting. Okay. But this plant, this abortifacient, was so popular, the plant was driven to extinction. Oh, okay. <laughs> In case okay, you think, well, okay. lots of things. You know, plants are going extinct every day for lots of reasons. Sure. Silphium, <laughs> silphium was so central to the Kyrenian economy yeah. that most of its coins were embossed with an image of the plant. Oh, so this was a major export usage, all this kind of a thing. This was, you know, kind of a, a center of this culture. And I know we're not talking about uh, the subject broadly of birth control in this episode as well, Josh, but certainly, certainly in, you know, Greek history, um, you know, even going back to the Babylonians, there are also multiple other methods for 
family planning, some of which used, you know, plants like this. So I, I'm not at all surprised. I'm not at all surprised that human beings drove a plant to extinction <laughs> for, for the sake of something. We've talked about this before, and I know it's a little bit off topic, but when leeches were really big, Josh, you know, a little while back, we actually almost drove leeches to extinction <laughs> from harvesting <laughs> So we, you know, this is not a unique circumstance. But we didn't have leeches on our quarters, Santosh. No, 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 but we, well. But but I'm just saying that (laughs) the only reason, the only reason we know what this plant looks like or that it exists is that it was on the money. Yeah. Otherwise we would have never known. Otherwise, we wouldn't know what it looks like, but it was on the actual gotcha. money, and everyone was writing about it. Like, this this whole island, this is how they survived. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, but so it, it the closest... how important it was right there to Kyrene uh, or Cyrene and to the rest of the surrounding world at the time. This was an important medical plant. The closest plant cousin is Rue. Um, and Pliny the Elder has also mentioned the oil of common rue as a potent inducer of pregnancy or abortifacient. Uh, mm-hmm. Serenus Simonicus also wrote of a concoction which consisted of rue, egg, and dill, um, okay. as did Serranus and Dioscorides. So, and modern scientific studies have confirmed that rue does indeed contain three different compounds that can promote. Uh, or that act as a board of fashions. Now, let's gotcha. take a moment. Whatever you're hearing on TikTok about Rue, please don't act on it. Yes. It is not the kind of thing that you can go out and forage and say, oh, well, I'm going to brew a tea with this, a tea with that. I appreciate that there is now a great less access to this kind of family planning care for a variety of reasons, and we'll get into that and other resources to use. Mm-hmm. But I shouldn't have to say this. Don't follow medical advice you get from a social media app in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. have to say, I mean, I know it's advice that we're giving advice not to follow advice, but it's good advice. In another ancient medical text, De Materia Medica Libri Cinquinque. Uh, forget <laughs> it. I'm, I'm giving kinky. up. Yeah, it is kind of kinky. It is a little kinky. <laughs> Uh, oh dear. <laughs> the Greek pharmacologist Dioscorides listed the ingredients of a concoction called abortion wine with hellebore, okay. squirting cucumber, and scammony, but specifically failed to provide the manner in which it was to be prepared. And again, these are all plants that have been studied even into the modern day and known to contain compounds that promote it. The big reason why, you know, Dr. Josh and I say things like this, you know, don't follow those social media trends, don't go harvesting this stuff and try anything, is one, we have lost these methods in history. Um, but two, you know, the precision of which you would actually use these medications to actually keep people safe, but still use it for the medicinal purpose, it they didn't have that as much. So which means complications were more common. So please. Okay. All right. So you might be thinking when they were performing abortions and those who were opposed in favor, 
however you want to slice it. Um, this is an argument that is quite literally as old as time. Uh, mm-hmm. Aristotle himself wrote that the line between lawful and unlawful abortion will be marked by the fact of having sensation and being alive. Seems like things that everyone can agree on, mm-hmm. but where do you draw that line? Well, Aristotle considered the embryo to gain a human soul, uh, the being infused into the clay of the human body at 40 days if male and 90 days if female. <laughs> yeah. Which... yeah, yeah, uh-huh, yep. <laughs> you, by the way, he's talking 42 days is about six weeks gestation, all right? <laughs> you can't tell a damn thing about that baby's sex at that age without actually harvesting cells from that embryo. So, huh. <laughs> I'm just Yeah, uh-huh. I want to know the math that went anyway, before that. That's not even that's not even the no. most questionable part. Before sure, it sure. gained a human soul, it had sure. a starter pokemon vegetable or animal soul. Animal soul. Yeah. So this is really important. This speaks to the Greek understanding of what went into a human. And, you know, the the idea of a soul and everything, Josh, the, the, that eternal part of a human being, no one really kind of said, oh, this is how it is and like that in, in Western literature and Judeo-Christian literature and that kind of thing. It just... It's not there. These were all borrowed ideas kind of cobbled together and everything. Aristotle, okay, said that actually every living thing has souls and there's actually like a hierarchy, but it had to evolve or, or I guess metamorphose a little bit like a Pokemon, <laughs> like just like you said. I mean, that's how I imagine it. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. so so we we have the argument, you know, when does – human life begin or when does the soul infuse well it's it's not at the moment of conception at least in the time of ancient greece it's gender dependent and also (laughs) evolutionary um sure but let's go into america remember i said one of the rationales is that this wasn't considered to be a enduring part of american history that it was something recent and new that, that the youths were doing as a fad yep those so, damn whippersnappers. So let's go to 1748 in Philadelphia. Oh, we're, we're skipping way ahead. Okay, we, we are because I want to bring this a little closer to home. Okay. So in Philadelphia, 1748, a manual for everything from arithmetic to letter writing to caring for horses' hooves called The Instructor was a best-selling practically almanac in the UK, the great British empire. And no one less than Benjamin Franklin had set himself to adapting it for education in the American colonies. Oh, cool. Okay. Now Franklin thought long and hard about this because he needed to find a way to convince colonists uh, to buy this book. Most of which they're like, what do I need a math book for? Or any of these is like almanacs. Sure. But an all purpose textbook how do you convince people it's worth it to buy? Essentially, when you were new to the colonies like this and you had people coming in, there were lots and lots of people who just wanted to survive. They needed to just be able to 
you know, make a house. They needed to be able to fend off wild animals. They needed to be able to farm. So in the midst of all this, you had to say, oh, there was still value for this type of higher education, which, you know, it, it wasn't practically kind of implementable in day-to-day life. But he's, he was trying to show that it's still valuable. It's still useful to know. So Franklin made a whole bunch of changes to his version of the book, but the biggest one was adding this treatise from the Poor Planter's Physician by a Virginia doctor, John Tennant. And uh, he replaced something on shoeing horses with this. And here's the thing about this about this uh, pamphlet. Uh-huh. It was a how-to on at-home abortion made available oh. to anyone who wanted a book that could teach ABCs and one, two, three. So this was going into the back of a book on homeschooling for local farmsteaders and townies um, because family planning is something that was going to be pretty important in the early life of the colonies. Yeah, absolutely. You couldn't go out there and trust that you would have access to the kind of health care that could keep mom alive, mom and baby, deliver a baby in a, in a healthy fashion. And most importantly, Josh, because of the rates of, you know, miscarriage, malformation, and then maternal death after birth, okay? If you didn't have those facilities and knowledge and everything available to you, then you had to have a way to actually say, hey, we're ready to bring a child into this world. We're not ready, you know, regardless of what happened. And you got to remember, everybody, this is before we had any other forms of birth control. And not for nothing, while it probably was not the reason for this book's high sales, it is it's no question that this book was one of the most widely and enduringly read and reprinted math textbooks of the early Americas of the colonial era America. Yeah. And this chapter or instruction, it was there for everyone to see. And I think the important thing here, Josh, is that there weren't objections or riots or anything to it. It was just included as a part of, you know, the practical advice you needed to live out in the colonies and and good knowledge to have. Just a brief excerpt from the recipe, again, refers to several different herbal abortifacients at the time. Mm-hmm. And he leads off with, for this misfortune, you must purge with Highland flag or bellyache root, a week before you expect to be out of order, uh, okay. referring, of course, to menstruation, and repeat the same two days after. The next morning, drink a quarter of a pint of pennyroyal water, another one that unfortunately is coming up on TikTok. Okay. Uh, oh, no. Okay. With 12 drops of spirits of hartshorn, and as much again at night when you go to bed. Continue this nine days running. After resting three days, go on with it for nine more. Thus will you induce a purge. Family planning, number one. But if the baby died also, this was a medical kind of uh, dilation and curatage as well, Josh? It's the best kind of they had if if you no longer felt the quickening, which is not a Highlander reference. (laughs) Because sometimes there can be way more than one, yes. But the actual word referred to when the mother can feel 
the child start to move? Right. So either they never felt the baby move, in which case, oftentimes, Josh, they would miscarry on their own, you know, sadly. But if if the baby had gotten to a point where you could feel kicking and moving and that kind of a thing, and then it stopped, right? This, again, really, really spelt danger for the mother because she could become septic and die. So it's And there's no guarantee it would work at that level. These usually were um, meant more for family planning, but okay. these were the kinds of things it was used for. It's the, um, it's the best they had kind of thing. Then, just historically, let's kind of briefly make another big jump in time okay and move up to the 1970s uh, although i will mention that some of the earliest opposition to abortion did come from the medical community who resented uh, midwives being viewed as professionals they felt they should have to go through medical training mm -hmm. in order to perform their job that any kind of healthcare should be the sole province of doctors and as such, began sort of these campaigns that led to some of the earliest anti-abortion laws. Oh, that's uh, very interesting. So it wasn't... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. For the sake of actually stopping abortion, it was you know, and we're going through some of this right now in medicine, but kind of turf wars. What can a nurse do versus what can a doctor do? Yeah. Um, okay. Fascinating reading is looking into the history of it. Uh, okay. But into the 1970s, we have uh, Lorraine Rothman and Carol Downer, who were founding members of a self-help movement who invented the Dell-M, a safe, cheap suction device that made it possible for people with minimal training to perform menstrual extractions. Okay. This is basically known as vacuum aspiration. This is one of the first methods of what's called a surgical abortion. Now that doesn't mean a surgeon is going in and actually cutting or stabbing anybody, you know, but it is a method of extracting a fetus when it cannot be medically induced. Uh, like okay. we talked about with these herbal remedies. Sure. Now, this technological advance in these vacuum devices permitted not only early pregnancy detection, and they touted it as soon as a week after conception. Okay. And a growing popular demand in the 70s for safe, effective abortion options, both surgical and medical. Mm -hmm. 
And Jerry Edwards is a physician who developed a protocol where women are offered an abortion using a handheld vacuum syringe as soon as a positive pregnancy test is received, especially when, and he also specialized in early detection of ectopic pregnancies. So I should put that in some context. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so not just, you know, the, the a, a baby, you know, where you need to do family planning, okay, and say, okay, we need an early abortion for one reason or another. But ectopic pregnancy, and for people who don't know what this is, this is very, very important, okay, that we kind of clear this up. This is one of the major, major reasons why we have termination of pregnancy to save mom's life in a non-viable pregnancy, okay? That that egg, okay, gets fertilized and instead of implanting in the endometrium in the body of the uterus, okay, gets implanted someplace else and most commonly in the fallopian tubes. If this, uh, you know, embryo starts to grow, turns into a fetus, gets bigger, the 100% thing that's going to happen there, okay, is that there's going to be a rupture, the baby's going to die, and then mom will die soon afterwards. So ectopic means in the wrong place, okay, in, in this context. This is, a, this is a pregnancy that takes place in the wrong spot, and it needs to be ended very, very quickly for the sake of that that growing fetus and the mom both. So let's talk a little bit more about what a vacuum aspiration is, like what when we're talking about surgical abortions. Mm -hmm. It's used traditionally in the medical world as a treatment for incomplete spontaneous abortion, more commonly known as a miscarriage, or when there is retained fetal and placental tissue from a fetus that didn't develop or a fetus that was delivered or to obtain a sample of uterine lining when they're taking a biopsy of the endometrium. So that's a lot of uses for this one tool that everybody just associates well, with abortion now yeah. uh, with abortion. Um, when it's used as a spontaneous abortion management, so miscarriage management or a therapeutic abortion method, it can be used alone or with dilation anytime in the first trimester. So that's up to 12 weeks. Again, I'm not commenting on legality of each individual state, nor the ones who have put total abortion bans. This is just medically, not legally, when have these devices designed to function up to? There you go. Uh, so vacuum aspiration can be used up to 12 weeks. Uh, now, how are you getting suction out of this? You know, you're not running off a Dyson or a Hoover. No, no. <laughs> That's true, yes. Uh, suction is created either with an electric pump, mm -hmm. uh, electric, you know, for electric vacuum aspiration, or a manual one. And you can use a handheld 25cc or 50cc syringe as a manual pump. So that's, that's the level of suction. Santosh, how big is a 50cc syringe? Uh, 50 milliliters. Um, I'm trying to, uh, kind of, well, I, I'm mime, oh, Josh, I just tried to mime it to our listing audience. <laughs> no, no, I saw it. Even though I'm, even though I'm two time zones away, I actually saw you lifting your hand. Listening audience, if you're curious what that's like, yeah, yeah. Okay, I want you ahead. all to imagine, and this is for Satosha's benefit, sure. go ahead Lift an ear of corn and tell me how many rows are on For it. For the love of God. <laughs> and all of you just brought your hands up yay apart. 
Now, now bring them a little closer together. <laughs> yeah. We'll say a couple inches, and that's your 50cc syringe. Yeah. <laughs> 50 milliliters. Yeah, and it, it does take some strength to pull a plunger on a 50 milliliter syringe under full suction. It, it, it takes some strength to do it that way, but not a ton, okay? So you're not trying to really really forcefully destroy something here okay um and in the case of biopsy and that kind of thing you're not going to destroy anything at all so in you know when this tool is used in that regard it's actually very very important it can be life-saving to diagnose things such as endometrial cancer all right so this is not a one-trick pony it is a very very important medical device so remember we said that one can be used really up to 12 weeks now let's talk about the one that may be a little bit more known to some of you, which is a medical abortion or taking medication or prescription drugs to end a pregnancy, doesn't require surgery, and can be performed safely through the ninth week of pregnancy. So actually less time than the 12 weeks. Yeah. So this is what well, you're saying that the uh, embryo, Going to a fetus is small enough here where you can basically induce, you know, detachment from the endometrial lining. It stops developing. And then, as in the case of many, many miscarriages, unfortunately and heartbreakingly, um, that cell is, or group of cells is so small that basically it will just be expelled and it'll kind of be look a little bit like just a period. Um, many women at that point, just like you're talking about, you know, that nine weeks, Josh, they may miscarry at that point and not even know that they were ever pregnant. A little bit of an interesting story on its history. Mm -hmm. uh, the drug is known perhaps to those from our generation, at least, as RU486. Does that ring okay. a bell? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know that I ever stopped to find out where that designation came from, though. It's a French drug, and it comes from a pharmaceutical company, Roussel Uclaf, uh, serial number 486, which oh. presumably is where it falls into their compound. Gosh. Um, <laughs> this was compound number 486 that they had discovered, created, whatever it was. Yeah. So. Okay. If we jump just a little bit further ahead to September 1988, mm -hmm. the French health minister, Claude Evine, had approved an abortion pill called RU486 for sale. But now, only four weeks after it had gone on the market, under pressure from anti-abortion groups, okay. the board of the pharmaceutical firm that made the drug had voted 16 to 4 to withdraw it from the market with, oh, with several company executives opposed to the drug as well. So again, okay. this is a fight that has been going on from the moment we could even have the fight. Some interesting interactions here. The French health minister summoned the vice chair of the pharmaceutical company to his office. And, okay. you know, they had a hilariously accented conversation. Okay. <laughs> Josh, no, they spoke in French. We, 
Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, but you, you essentially, think actually speaking in English with horrible French accents. No, stop that. I assume lots of countries speak in English with horrible versions of their own accents. <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> okay. The conversation basically went over the fact that this pharmaceutical company had created this drug, had developed this drug, had a drug that worked and was safe, and had now decided to withdraw it after right putting it right on the market. And the pharmaceutical company said, basically, we. we. <laughs> but okay, the health minister, sure. the health minister told him, hey, uh, if the distribution doesn't resume, then the government is going to simply take your patent and transfer it around. We're going to shop it around like a cheap French fill-in-the-blank baguette, <laughs> I assume, okay. uh, to a company that would make it for the public good. And are you, Roussel Uclaf, backed down? Um, and from that moment, government approval for the drug was granted. And great line. From the moment government approval for the drug was granted, RU486 became the moral property of women, not just the physical property of the drug company. Yeah. And so this is going all the way back, Josh, like you talked about on the island, you know, Kirin and that kind of a thing. There was a recognition here of how necessary this type of medication procedure was to general health and to the public, especially to women. So that was the type of recognition that the Public Health Service of France was talking about right there. And, you know, kind of full circle, uh, you know, it, it was that necessary. It was that big of a deal as soon as it came out. But in this case, you can manufacture it and you don't have to drive a plant out of extinction. Or into extinction. Remember, we said the board voted 16 to 4 to withdraw it, but one mm -hmm. of those four, uh, Andre Ullman, described how even earlier in the drug's history, before it was authorized in France, he began just giving samples to any gynecologist who wrote to him asking for it or even about it without asking permission from his bosses. So there was already oh, widespread. <laughs> I... <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that right there. But okay. No, but again, there's strong feelings about this issue. And that's kind of what I, I want to emphasize. Sure. No matter where in history you go, what time period, what region, people feel deeply about this um, for whichever side they're pitching. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and that's the difficult thing I hear, Josh, is and especially in this day and age right now in American history – that's the tough part is that rather than looking at this from the scope of what is the medical necessity, what is the usefulness, what is the need, all these kind of things, uh, we're, we're taking a very emotional stance, one side or the other. And I think when that happens and you leave the actual facts behind, especially in science and medicine, then the conversation stops and progress stops. So that's the big thing that I think we're both trying to avoid. Yeah, the, the all or nothing position is is not yeah. conducive to solutions. Untenable, absolutely um, untenable. Yeah. For these these pills, mifepristone basically has the uterine lining recede, and mm -hmm. misoprostol, which is taken 
uh, 24 to 48 hours later, after the one that eliminates the uterine lining, induces uh, essentially cramps and contractions that expel the yeah, cells the embryo, attached. Exactly. Yeah. Bleeding will be noticed. The amount of bleeding can depend on the time since conception as well as the individual. Uh, cramping, nausea, and vomiting are common. Although allergic reactions or more severe side effects are considered very rare. Medically, these are among some of the safer drugs to use, even and especially at home. You know, we talk about this all the time, right, Josh? Side effects and what's the scary stuff. Yet right now, the number one over-the-counter kind of killer that we really have to watch out for is acetaminophen, right? Tylenol. <laughs> in in the case like this one, if it's prescribed, if it's used at home like this in that two-step method, just like you talked about, the vast majority of women will have a small amount of adverse symptoms, cramps and nausea, and then will feel nothing, bleeding maybe, and then that's it. That, that That's the end of it. There's no horrible, terrible thing that accompanies the use of this medication the vast majority of the time. Aside from the trauma of having to go through it. Yes, uh, yes. Regardless of the reason you made that decision, and this is not a moral judgment, it's just that's, I imagine, a really difficult thing to have to go through. Yes, that and that shouldn't be minimized. You're absolutely right, Josh, for whatever reason. And we also haven't talked about, and we're really not going to go into the many hidden victims of this Roe v. Wade decision, which are going to be college campuses throughout states where these bans have gone into place, because all those uh, folks raising kids, how do you accommodate a child in a bunk bed with a dorm? Yeah, <laughs> in a single dorm. Yeah, absolutely. And it Or lactation should... rooms. And of course, communities of color and communities that are economically disadvantaged are going to be proportionately more affected. They're not going to be able to travel far and away or get to where somebody can obtain these easily and right. easily is still a stretch yes. uh, by any definition even in states where this will continue to be an available procedure yeah and we we have papers coming out very recently here josh what is access for instance and you know we're talking about if you have no access within 50 miles five zero Okay. And this is a gigantic continent and a huge country. So that's not too far away if you say, oh my gosh, you know, I have to travel more than 50 miles. But there are people who definitely can't make that trip. Okay. And sometimes it's medically necessary. Sometimes it's an important decision financially, emotionally, whatever it's for. But, you know, what it is right now in front of us, as far as Dr. Josh and I are concerned, is a medical procedure. And, you know, you break your arm, you, uh, you know, get an infection, whatever it is, we feel that you should have access to the medical care that you need. And that's the stance that we're coming from, right? That's it. And of course, the big concern is now that Roe v. Wade has been reversed. Will some of these states that have placed total bans also begin restricting medications in the U.S., such as RU486 or Mifepristone and Misoprostol? Because remember, they are not designed with the express intent 
of inducing abortions in those you think are morally uh, in favor of it. Sure. It is designed for things like promoting uterine contraction. So, so there are, again, other medical reasons that have nothing to do with it. And if you make these drugs more difficult to obtain, it will affect the kind of care that you can get for entirely unrelated reasons. And this is the same type of thing where we worry about protection of what we commonly think of birth control, hormonal birth control, right? So progesterone and estrogen combination pills and that kind of a thing. Yes, of course, family planning, uh, super, super important for that. But Josh, as a pediatrician uh, in adolescent medicine, you know, we use it for polycystic ovarian syndrome uh, and helping girls and women actually not have horrible symptoms from PCOS. Um, they can help with acne breakthroughs and a myriad of other conditions. So yes, these things for family planning are very, very important and access to these medications are important for that. But there are other consequences when you decide to just take a medication away and, and ban it for public use or for a doctor's use for his patient. So let's talk very briefly about some of the resources that do still remain available uh, as laws begin to take effect around the country and the state of women's health changes pretty dramatically, at mm -hmm. least for the foreseeable future. And of course, talk to your uh, obstetrician gynecologist about what options are available. Who They'll be able to provide you with much greater detail than two guys on a podcast. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm TikToking myself. Yeah, yeah. Especially when neither of us are in this particular specialty, 100%. Yes, yes. Um, if you have opted for a surgical abortion, there is a database known as Abortion Finder, which is unlike Google, which can turn up anti-abortion organizations when you search for a clinic. Abortion mm -hmm. Finder will show you only actual providers along with the relevant laws in that state. If you're more interested or thinking about medication options, there is a different website known as Plan C that maintains a large database of verified safe providers, including telehealth services that will provide support through the mail as well as online pharmacies. Yeah, and these are very, very important options, just like we said Mechanical or surgical abortion termination is not at all the only option. Um, likewise, should anything happen with birth control and other family planning methods, uh, you know, this is a, an excellent option as, especially as healthcare access, you know, is, is available. So super important. Um, the European website aid access will connect you with an Indian pharmacy that will send pills to all 50 U.S. states, regardless of the laws in place. I'm, I chose not to look into how they manage that. Well, um, it's really because, you know, it's not an illegal substance and you're allowed to order your medication by mail and that's fine. You know, so a state can't really cut off your federal mail. So, huh. Uh, because abortion is time sensitive and the process of getting pills sent from India can take a few weeks, aid access is also willing to prescribe these pills to people who aren't currently pregnant in case they need them in the future. You could in theory go to aid access and get them right now 
for family planning ahead of time. Yes. And thankfully, a lot of these medications, you know, they're in pill form. Um, the shelf life is actually quite long, so you don't have to worry about them. Just keep them shielded from, you know, heat, sunlight, that kind of thing, uh, if you need to. Now, if you have opted to do a pill by mail form, again, please be in touch with your obstetrician gynecologist. But for those of you who don't have one or in the moment just are looking for help, there is something called the ReproCare Healthline that offers peer-based trauma-informed support uh, to anyone who has chosen to undergo this at home. It also, if it comes with legal risks, if you live in a state where this is now going to be illegal, they have a legal helpline as well as a legal defense fund. So for those of you who want to kind of support your communities in who are fighting these decisions, the best thing you can do is make a donation to these kinds of funds and access providers. I will say, Josh, just, you know, because we don't want to alienate anybody. Okay. So if you do need to search as well, there are thankfully very kind of, you know, people with foresight who understand that there are going to be folks who don't want to have an abortion and who are struggling because there's no way that they can get access and that kind of a thing. So likewise, you know, support for women um, if they need help with alternatives like adoption and where to get money and financial help and everything else for their kid in those areas where unfortunately their healthcare system will fail them, you know, in terms of supporting their baby after birth. Um, and hopefully those will start to follow, you know, in the same footsteps, because that's what we got to do. If you're going to say that abortion is not available to a person, that means for all those people who are going to be struggling after that baby's born, you got to help them. Okay. And you got to help support them because you're making a choice for them. Right. So, um, those and for goodness sake, people, we still have an infant formula shortage. Yeah, are we, absolutely. are we equipped to deal with this new wave of babies? Of babies. So, uh, please do look out there also, you know, there are going to be, you know, financial help, uh, help for placement for adoption, all these kind of a thing as well. Um, so, you know, that, you know, every option that we can kind of think about for, for people on all parts of that moral spectrum that, you know, you can, you can find what you need. So that's it for this week. I think Santosh, we've managed to tiptoe through the minefield without losing too many body parts. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think so. I, the, the big take home is that, Family planning, abortion, whether it was chemical or herbal or mechanical, has been recognized and understood as a medical procedure for just a really long time. That's the that's the big take. And people have been disagreeing about it for almost as long. Mm -hmm. So if you are put in a position where you may need one, talk to someone you trust about what you want to do. Uh, some of you are going to want to make use of the resources that we've referenced in this episode. Some of you are going to want to carry that to term and have families. And, you know, we respect both of those decisions. hundred um, percent. So with that in mind, uh, no travel tip for this week. I think we have said quite enough. Yeah, absolutely. I will reiterate jo Dr. Josh's point is that please 
do not take your advice from TikTok at all. They're bad. They're illegitimate. They're no good. <laughs> if the only piece of advice you take from us yeah. <laughs> is to not take advice from TikTok, I will still count it a victory. Uh-huh. Abs- 100%. Yeah, if absolutely. I have to create a dance challenge <laughs> to get this across to you, <laughs> I will do it. Yeah, everybody stand back. He's he's got some tight rhythms. Oh, I'm busting a move. So okay. uh, that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. Yes, yeah. even on episodes even like this. Even on episodes like this, let which us know. we put off doing for so long. <laughs> Just the number of weeks done. <laughs> it's like, Come on together. Are we doing a journal club this week? Well, we should. <laughs> yeah, here it is. Yeah. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from Santos oh, and friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much help. <laughs> Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. And. <laughs> Until (laughs) next time, as always. You're good. You're good. You got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You got it. Got it. Okay. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Get your shot. Pee on a frog. Uh, Donate to. Don't pee on a frog. (laughs) Donate to a group that you believe in, and find a country that's open. And when you've done all of those things, happy travels. No countries are going to allow you to pee on a frog. None. Australia might. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Happy travels. Bye, what? Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.